Hey, today's interview is brought to you by NorthSouthJiuJitsu.com. Check out their new colors. Check out our friends, NorthSouthJiuJitsu.com. And of course, the 100% natural, proven nutrition, biodegradable packaging, amazing product. Keeps me, and I'm way out of shape, moving in that uh, second 10 minutes of any exercise, which is all I've got to. Hoping for a third. ProvenNutrition.com. Check them out. Thank you for tuning in to this week's Verbal Tap. Uh, for this November 10th business, though this guest has, I, I've already hit record, no business being on the show tonight. You obviously know that way above our, yeah. way outside of our league, you might say. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I mean, here's the thing. When they give us the time and we trick them into coming on the show, we just figure like, well, we're all here. We might as well talk about jujitsu and grappling that seems to be the thing that makes us all happy about but kev here's the thing you've watched enough kasai's to understand that they're starting to build momentum they're starting to fulfill this aspect of a grappling show that some have fallen by the wayside kev my question to you though is what are we going to do with him here now now that he's here well, I mean, there's the AJ questions we need to kick in, but I'm also a little curious why a man of his stature would slum with the grappling nerds of the world, but I think there's a Danaher connection. There's a lot to get to, I guess. Yeah, sure. Well, why don't we do this? Why don't we go and bring on our friend, Rich Byrne, who is the CEO of Kasai Grappling. He is also a black belt. He also makes money, which I guess is going to bring us to our very first point here, which is this. First, hello, Rich, and welcome to the show. And second, are you aware that grappling doesn't make money? Like, is that something that has been told to you? Because if somebody has not told that to you, I'm very nervous about where this interview is going. <laughs> well, hi, Raph. Hi, Kevin. Um well, if somebody didn't tell it to me before, I definitely figured it out after we've had three shows. <laughs> uh, but we are hopeful. There is a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. I've, I've convinced myself of that. Hey, you know what? Bless you, because I'm excited that we have somebody with financial background who is excited about grappling, because a lot of the times people just kind of burn through the money very quickly. So that is always a, a big concern for us. So can you tell us what attracted you to coming in on the side? Because obviously you're a black belt, so you have a passion for it. But what attracted you to come into more of the business side and being a promoter? Well, that's a good question. Um, I personally think that jujitsu, or maybe to more accurately term it, submission grappling, because, you know, we do jujitsu in its many forms, you know, uh, but submission grappling is a really exciting sport filled with some of the best athletes in the world. And as you said, there really hasn't been much money in it. And partly it's simple supply and demand. Uh, the product isn't that interesting. Um, so part of what we really tried to do at Kasai, and we spent years thinking about this, started with maybe six, seven years ago saying, boy, wouldn't it be great if somebody came up with a way to make this sport more interesting and more understandable to the viewer? And wouldn't it even be better if you can get viewers that don't do jujitsu? I think almost 100% of the audience that watches most events are people that, that do the sport, you know, because they're there to support a friend or a training partner or something. But 
we were absolutely convinced that between the quality of the athletes and the excitement of the sport, that a rule set and format could be created to make it as exciting as something like the UFC. And that's what we endeavored to do. And when you talk about economics not working, I, I, I understand. But, you know, Frank and Lorenzo Fertitta are laughing, and Dana White are laughing all the way to the bank. You know, they unloaded their wallet. I don't know, something like, depending on which report you, you've heard, but, you know, $25, $35 million, you know, bleeding money before it really caught on and, you know, $4 billion later, you know, look who had the last laugh. So uh, who knows? Could jujitsu ever get to that point? I, you know, I don't know. I doubt it. But we can certainly do a lot better than, you know, what's been done today. Damn it. I like this already, Raph. And I was yeah, prepared I know, to be I angry know. about his financial <laughs> acumen and the black belt. That part, I already had my jealousy yeah. flags up. But, ah, uh, damn it, sir. That's an interesting answer. And Kasai obviously has built some momentum in that direction, which is... Uh, for sure. So so one of the... Th- so think about it. Uh, did you guys watch uh, the 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 Abu Dhabi, what's, what's it called, the Grand Prix this, this past weekend, or the Pans the weekend before? Um, there were some great athletes there, multiple mats, hard to follow what's going on. A lot of matches ended in controversy, a lot of slow movement. You know, I can't, to me, I loved it, but the average person probably viewed that, unless they were, you know, watching somebody that they trained with, probably viewed it as just a big mishmash and certainly not particularly uh, exciting and not well promoted and all that stuff. Uh, we're trying to do something totally different. We have a tournament format. The fights are only six minutes, and there could be a tie because we're counting on, you know, there will be matches that aren't ties. We give different point totals, you know, whether you get a submission or win by points. So there will be an outcome. You know, part of the problem is these ties infuriate people. They certainly do it to me. um, EBI came up with a cool way to do it, right, with the overtime, but people game that system, you know, nobody trusts the refs. Uh, some of these advantages seem somewhat arbitrary. We tried to get rid of all that, you know, just one aspect. You know, another aspect is matching the traditional IBJJF guys that sort of fight each other all the time in all these different tournaments with the submission-only guys because we created a rule set that they can both live under. Um, so, you know, we get to put on matches like you know, have, you know, Gianni Grippo and, and, um, and, uh, John Calstein. There it is. Yeah. 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 Some or, friends of ours. Or by Eddie the way. Cummings and Canudo, you know, as, yeah. as examples. Sorry. Go ahead. No, you're, no, no, no. We, We're big fan. You keep our friends employed, which is always nice. That is true. Uh, I mean, we, we have so many questions to go off of, but you brought up Palestine, which brings me up to just, I guess, a random question. And then we can come back to this line of reasoning, which is, do you guys have security? Because I'm not saying, like, he's not a good black belt. I'm just saying he made his way to that stage very easily. And <laughs> when he did make his way up there, what was your reaction to all of this? Because... You're watching it from a completely different lens than I guess the rest of us are when we see AJ getting on the mic and doing what he does, and then John getting up there, and then Gio coming around. So can you tell us what you're thinking when this is all happening? Well, 
uh, I was a little afraid of what, what <laughs> who knows, you know, when bedlam occurs, you never know, you never know which direction <laughs> it's going to go in. But I got to tell you, it's a little bit of a page from, from WWE. And that sounds like a terrible thing, right? Because we all laugh and it's fake and all that stuff. But you know what? Something that's as fake and as stupid as, you know, staged fake wrestling uh, still manages to outsell virtually every other fight promotion out there by far, you know, obviously other than the UFC. And they do it because they create something. They create drama. They create excitement for the fans. Um, you brought up Calstein, but, you know, uh, Husamar Palharis, uh, that fight turned out to be terrible. I'll, we'll be the first to admit it. But the drama you create by putting this dangerous man uh, on the mat, you know, the guy that uh, won't let go of submissions and is wreck, you know, potentially can wreck a career against a guy that's going for submissions, um, it, and both guys with, you know, this leg expertise, created some cool drama. Um, so well, that's lest what we're we forget, to do. We're trying to create these, these, these things organically. Rosemir's appearance also created some drama as he uh, came in at two and a half Craig Jones's, which again, to me was great. It was like, fight on. This sounds fantastic. Craig Jones probably had a different point of view when Rosemir showed up. But to your point, it is grappling's hard to predict. You can kind of just put the ingredients out there. Yeah, and then you sort of let it organically go in, you know, whatever direction it's going to go. But we're trying to facilitate something that's going to be exciting, something that people are going to talk about. Um, well, we are you know, we are definitely talking about it because we do have questions in terms of like when we see AJ going on and talking about how there's a super fight, but that he wants all these ridiculous conditions. But at the end of the day, we all want a match. So the news that came out today is that him and Gio are not going to have a match and that I believe Gio is going to go in the 145 tournament. So this is all new to us. Can you explain what's happening here? Because when I see them both doing their sides of the story, I feel like we're not getting the full truth. Well, first of all, we haven't announced any of the fighters on our upcoming card. Um, our tickets go on sale this coming Tuesday. Our, our, our next event will be in New York at the Manhattan Center Hammerstein Ballroom on November 10th. So tickets go on sale uh, in two days, on Tuesday. And we will be uh, finalizing signatures and announcing uh, the eight folks in our tournament and our three super fights as well as ultimately our undercard. So we got a lot to put out there as far as announcements. I will tell you, the AJ and Gio will not be in a super fight on this card. And there's one simple reason. It's because the card, I mean, literally, I'm not just saying this is hype. The card was so full and so stacked that we made the executive decision to not put that fight on this card and put it on our next card, you know, assuming, assuming these guys, you know, can agree to terms and all that. But our goal would be to get it on our next card, which we haven't announced yet, but will probably be sometime in late January. So that's the simple answer. Uh, we do have a 145 tournament, and your 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 horse has a good nose that uh, Geo <laughs> would be a 
a uh, terrific candidate for a 145-pound tournament. We like watching him, so we do. We agree with you there. He's a blast to watch. Not yeah, he is. And I don't know if you saw him in um, in that uh, the promotion uh, last night uh, when Team Tenth Planet, you know, took. took I saw the one. Yeah, what, what was uh, that Gio, the one last night? Something. Team base, right? Yeah, yesterday was the subversive, which is a kind of a watered down version of Quintet because it's basically best five out of five super fights instead of, you know, you stay in until you either uh, uh, submits, uh, get submitted, or you're eliminated through a tie. But the idea is the people from Fight to Win wanted to put it on so that they could do something for charity, which awesome. awesome. And the problem was it just didn't have the like you stay in until you're out sort of a thing. So it was just kind of five super fights versus five super fights, which is still interesting from a different dynamic. Um, but yes, yesterday Gio was involved, at least in one match. The second one, for some reason, somebody from Team Lloyd Irvin uh, wasn't able to do it. But Gio made it count and got a, a great go-go plata finish, I think is what you were alluding to, Rich. Yeah, yeah. So he looked great. Um, uh, so we love Gio. We'd love to have him in our tournament. Uh, so hopefully we will announce something something along those lines. But I think you'll be blown away with the other people that you know we're going to soon be announcing. And I'll give you one hint. Okay. You didn't even impress me, but I'll give you one hint. Is you. there was one final match in the Abu Dhabi, um, uh, the Grand Prix or whatever it's called, tournament mm -hmm. this past weekend uh, in a similar weight class that was, that blew people's minds. It was an upset, um, of two of, I think the best 145 pound athletes or athletes in around that weight class in the world. I'd say the two best. Um, and not only are they going to be in our tournament, but they're going to get a chance at a rematch on that somewhat controversial decision. I'm yeah, going to look up. I was like, I've been trying to pay no, more no, no, attention. No. He, I thought we were going to be friends here, Rich, but sure enough, I have to wait till. <laughs> when are you announcing the full card? Because I got to tell you, I was trying to Google this before. I was like, oh, they must not have announced it yet, which makes me a little happy. Because Kasai Pro, and you can find all this if you go to KasaiGrappling.com. It looks like a little bit of Dancing with the Stars, but a fighting version. All the event, really well labeled. You're releasing all this Tuesday, it sounds like, but... Is that when all the fights come out, or what's the the final verdict on that? Yeah, well, we're gonna tickets are going on sale Tuesday. We don't ever announce our fights until we have signatures on a contract from our fighters. Sure. Never want to announce a fight and then because we had a verbal agreement and then for whatever reason it didn't translate to a contract. We don't like to pull the rug out from people, so that's why we've been you know. A, we want tickets to go on sale, but also, you know, we want to get uh, eight signatures on a page before we announce it. Plus, we're going to have three super fights, so six more signatures on a page. Um, but it'll all be rolled out, or virtually all rolled out, uh, this coming week. Also, not as easy as it sounds. Grappling can lend itself well to some divas. So getting those signatures on the page, it's, it's a little bit more complicated. I know all the grapplers are like, I'll fight anyone. Yeah, they will. And then you're like, sign it. It's like, well, hold on. I've got a few more stipulations. <laughs> so one of the things we actually appreciate that, but I'm a little curious where you get the nose for fighters. So part of what you're all talking about, and, and I agree with it, is the idea that we have to present some interesting contrast and some drama and some fights that people want to watch. 
you all have done a good job at sussing that out. And obviously the Paul Harris, Craig Jones match was damn it. Prior to the match, one of the most anticipated matches of the year. And we got a chance to raz Craig Jones about it. And I think we all saw the match. Paul Harris just, you know, looked pretty content to not get submitted, which we were surprised by. Cause that's not normally his MO, but with Kasai, how are you doing the talent hunting? Is it, people you particularly rolled with who what's your process with with getting in some of these fighters and knowing what we're looking for i guess well i got an easy answer uh you know when in doubt call in a ringer and my ringer <laughs> my partner our president is hollis gracie and uh i don't know if you know hollis um he's a wonderful human being but in addition to that, and being his last name being Gracie, is uh, he's probably one of the most liked and respected fighters, people in jiu-jitsu world. And uh, I, I call him, you know, one degree of separation. Like any time we ever mention a name, uh, inevitably Howells will say, oh, I'll call him, sure, I know him well. <laughs> uh, and um, I think you need that level of familiarity with people to get them to agree to come to your events. I mean, when we started, they didn't even know who we were. We Nobody knew who we were. And, you know, in our first event, we had, you know, a who's who list of, of you know, great fighters, anywhere from Salcino Venetius, Gary Tonin, Canuto. Um, who else did we have? We had... Gordon, we had Marilla Santana, Craig Jones. That was the first time we, you know, nobody even knew what a Kasai was. So Hollis is, is the best. Uh, but between us, you know, we use our various connections, people we like to watch, uh, people who we think will be exciting, and all we ever talk about is matchups. You know, who's trending and who would, what fight, you know, it's like we're like kids in a candy store. What fight would you want to see? It's just like this constant, you know, imagineering of, of uh, you know, wouldn't that be cool if we can put this together? How about that? Um, and uh, that's where a lot of this comes from. Plus, we, we don't have every answer. We, we constantly talk to people, ask fans, you know, who do you want to see? And, you know, we try to make, make some of these things come to life. Uh, and you're right. You can't agree with, you can't get everybody. People won't agree to terms. Uh, you know, there is the, uh, the logistical aspect of it. So we can't get every match together that we want to put on, but we've had a pretty good record so far. Almost everything we dreamed up, we've been able to put, put on the stage. I mean, I, the reason why I ask the stuff, you know, with the Geo and the the AJ and the stuff like that is there is a certain degree of, oh, cool, they're getting the the word out there. And then there's also the degree of, oh, Jesus, what are they doing today? Okay. Is that what they're doing? Okay. Well, <sighs> thanks, guys. Because, honestly, there's no way I would have ever known who was involved in your tournament until they started speaking to gay, today. So that's why I was kind of like, all right. There's something, though, that you, you seem to be touching upon that I really want to comment about, which is you're watching events yesterday. You're watching events, it seems like, regularly. So it seems like you're keeping an eye on just a little bit of everything, just as a, a passionate fan. Were you doing that along like the past five or six years where we've seen a little bit of a change, not just in the way of competitive grappling, but like that push with you know sub only and, and that sort of a thing? when was that breaking point of you just said, like, I have to do one of these kinds of things? 
Yeah, I don't know. You're you're right. I, I I've been an avid fan for for many years. Um, I you know I watch whatever I can consume, and uh, you know I happen to have trained in my early life in the sport with uh, sort of submission only world uh, with John Danaher, uh, and John is far far more than a submission only guy but you know the but it's the Danaher you know the fa- the fabled Danaher death squad that had so much success around submission only and uh so you know I had a certainly had a affinity towards that mm-hmm. um but I also had an enormous respect for the guys you know going day in and day out into uh you know tournament world you know across mm-hmm. all the big the big tournaments the worlds and and ADCCs etc so you know, part of, and and it bothered me that that these guys generally don't those two sides of the sport don't even meet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, it was a little a little disturbing, and and you know, and then we spent a long time thinking about like what rules would you have to come up with that the submission only guys would would come in, or vice versa. So, yeah, I think a little of it was that um, it's merging the two worlds because boy, there's some great athletes and. You know, it's sort of like fans of any sport like to think of their dream matchups, especially like, you know, you know, over history, you know, you think about, you know, how would Babe Ruth have done against, um, <laughs> you know, you know, you name it. Um, and it almost seemed like that to me, where you were literally almost comparing like dead guys to live guys. Like, of course, they would never fight. So we can just talk about it theoretically. Well, why can't they fight? They're, they're both alive. You know, Eddie Cummings is one of the best submission guys in the world. Why can't he fight, you know, and why can't we come up with a format where we can watch him fight, you know, one of the best point grapplers in the world? Um, and so on. Uh, you know, Gordon Ryan made that transition, you know, winning ADCCs. Um, so, you know, this is slowly coming about organically, but I, I feel like we're trying to accelerate that, prime the pump a bit. We'll take it. And in terms of changes, because one of the things I think anytime I'm curious with the grappling events, because we we're looking for and this is a difficult time in grappling because there's a lot of formats and I completely agree with you. We've definitely found a format that doesn't work. And anytime there's not a decision, there's very few sports, especially American sports that people want to watch where there's not necessarily a winner or the opportunity of that danger in a fight game. What changes do you make event to event? What type of things do you do to come back to the table and say, well, here's what we think worked, here's what we think didn't work, and what's that process look like for the Kasai team? Yeah, uh, well, we've gotten a lot of feedback, good and bad, from from our three tournaments, and we're constantly trying to evolve. First of all, uh, the folks at Flow Grappling will tell you, I, I don't think they devote as much resources to anything that they do to our event. They've told us that, you know, we're their biggest seller, biggest biggest eyeball producer. Uh, and, you know, the amount of time and effort that we're spending together to put on the, you know, best possible broadcast, uh, I think you'd be amazed. Um, as far as, you know, other things, we, from the first tournament, we modified our rule, our point scoring system a little bit. We got rid of advantages um, so really the only way you can score is, you know, two points, three points, four points in the traditional ways. Uh, well, we decided because we were ending a lot of these, uh, maybe more matches than we would have liked in ties. 
we uh, added a system where many of the things that you otherwise would get a advantage for were were scoring a point. You know, a takedown that didn't quite. You know, the guy got to the mat, but you know, popped up relatively quickly. You know, he'd score a point for that. A legitimate, real submission attempt. You know, that didn't result in a tap. You know, gets a point. Um, you know, and a few other things. And it, we back tested all the all the matches from our first tournament, and some of the ties would have been broken in that scoring system. Also, you know, a match that would have ended two nothing might have ended in you know five to three. So five to three sounds way more interesting than two to nothing. You know, just as an example. Um, in the most recent tournament, some of the feedback we got is guys are falling off the mat. We have the biggest mat, I think in any tournament, including any IBJJF tournament, uh, it's enormous. Yeah, don't get us started uh, on but, the IBJJF mats. It drives me absolutely insane. <laughs> but no matter how big you make a mat, guys are mm-hmm. guys yep. somehow find their way to the edge and, and, and over. And in our case, it's kind of punitive because you fall into the crowd, which does create a hazard situation. So um, what we're going to bring to our next tournament, we... we thought about it a lot you know what's the best solution we're just gonna have some spotters you know follow the fighters around and hopefully catch them you know before they fall and break their neck so um you know just as one example another example was you know people don't like the refing i I don't know what to do about that we bring on some of the best refs in the world and if you figure it out you should let the nfl the nba and every other (laughs) professional sport know because the refing is always one of those things i think well i'm convinced if two guys watch a fight that's close and one guy's rooting for one guy and one guy's rooting for the other guy they will both think their guy won yeah right so you know and uh so i don't know what to do about that we're gonna put america not that it not, I, I don't want to sort of uh, validate any of this uh, sort of ignorant uh, commenting, but we're deliberately putting at least one American ref amongst the Brazilian refs just, uh, just because there seems to be a, I think, misplaced, but a belief out there that, you know, the Brazilian judges will favor the Brazilian athletes. So... You know, just in case, you know, just more for show rather than for reality, you know, we're going to respond that way to an, to another comment we got. Um, you know, something else, the other thing that was sort of our goal from the beginning and we've only expanded on is making it understandable to people that don't do jujitsu. Mm-hmm. So, or making it interesting. So, for example, you watch the Olympics, right? You've absolutely big into it summer and winter not just a seasonal person i'll watch (laughs) them both okay so take 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 winter olympics i don't know what think of some of the obscure sports out you know like curling yeah (laughs) or uh or even less obscure some of the skiing races or or whatever the luge yeah i also the shooting one is one of my favorites oh the the, the biathlon yeah thank you yes the way they ski out of that thing it's great so odds are you, I certainly don't know any of the people in the biathlon. Um, I don't even think I know the rules. I have a general idea of what they're trying to do, but uh, you know, don't know the rules. Yet I watch these things with like, like, honey, don't bother me now. <laughs> we're, we're in the middle of the biathlon. I can't put this down. Craig why? from Minnesota is taking on the Slovenians, and he's down the home stretch. I got to take a second. 
And why? Because, uh, who is it, NBC puts puts on a production. They tell you about the guy who's fighting because his father is in the hospital, and the other guy has a sick dog, and you, you, know, you want to root for him, you want to root for the other guy, and, you know, you get this human drama attached to it, and, and you know, they lay out the rules for you, and they kind of, they they do things in sound bites because we all have ADD and they, you know, they show you only the most interesting parts of these things. So that's the roadmap, right? We spent, we make all of our athletes come in three days before the tournament and we just attack them with filming obligations. We film them. We do a whole up close and personal with them. And we, we play that before all the matches um, we do it in the pre-fight promotion. You know, we roll these things out in the weeks leading up to the to the event. You know, by the time some of these guys get on stage, I invited my uh, both of my daughters, and they brought their friends. But the the one that I thought that was the funniest was my 18 year old daughters, and she brought her you know posse of you know five 18 year old uh, all girls. And they watched it. They started at 6.30 for the undercard, and they were there until 11.30 when the last fight was over. And they shared an Uber back. I don't know how they all got in one Uber, but they all, they all shared an Uber back. And all they can talk about was, gee, uh, I thought Craig Jones was cute. Oh, what about, you know, they, 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 they grew an attachment to these people. They, I'm not still <laughs> sure they knew what the rules were or how it worked. Damn but, it. This you is know, we, get back we held Craig their Jones, interest. And this is not good for his ego. He's already a prima donna. Uh, Damn it. <laughs> All right. Go on, sir. Rich, I, can, I, can I take a moment to share a truth? To the Australian with... audience listening, don't tell Craig Jones. Don't tell Yeah, him. But, Rich, here's the thing. I, I work in television, and you're speaking my language. This is all stuff that is so important. Narrative is king. Uh, you know, getting people invested is king. And as much as we want to shit on curling, those rating numbers dwarf even wrestling, which is absurd. But having said that, um, just a couple notes and ideas. Uh, number one, loving all the, the testimonial stuff. I think you guys really are doing a good job on that. Uh, number two, Josh Palmer. I mean, do, do we British have to go with him? Announcer? Because... <laughs> We're just given, you know, those foreigners our jobs. So, like, <laughs> here's another example. Just saying, you know, it's fine. I mean, he's great for over there, but he comes over here to America and he tries to run shop. And third, you mentioned about this idea for that pit in case they like fall off the mats. I figure just create a wall of white belts. And I figure if we lose them, it's not like we're going to really feel bad. So just kind of have them surround and be like, you guys, your job is to sacrifice if Canuto is going to try and somersault pass <laughs> off his bat. You just have to take it and die. Wow. These are all really good ideas. <laughs> we're we're going to have to take these back into the uh, laboratory. Can we'll, I tack we'll, we'll... on a quick addendum? If they hit a white <laughs> okay. belt and they can still land the submission <laughs> just as a go-ahead... What a chance. You know, that's where all of a sudden it's like Wagner Roca accidentally triangled a white belt into Bravo's lap, but it worked. So just throw that a little, consider it. But here's the reason why, who works in television, that I, I truly love this. The fact that you had marketing research with your daughter's friends still going on and being like, who draws that Q rating? 
Talk to me a little bit about your feelings on Craig Jones. Would you say they're high favorable? Okay, good. Okay, very good. A plus there. Rich brought his cousins, um, who are a demographic 21 to 41, and they also rated it highly. So think about that if you get the burn invitation. No. Yeah, well, believe it or not, I have invited, uh, which my partner's, uh, want to kill me every time because I take like 30, 35 of our best seats and I give it to my friends and family. And I'm just each event, I'm trying to invite different people. Some people like sports. Some people don't even do sports. It's not even their thing. Uh, or some people are football fans or maybe even boxing fans, but virtually none of them ever knew anything about this, this sport. And I see how, how it worked. Were we able to draw you in? And so far, you know, you get the initial comment of, oh, it was great, but I kind of expect a false positive because I invited them, I gave them a free seat, they're my friend, what are they going to say, it was terrible? But, um, you know, when they come in at 6, because, and they ask me what time it starts, I don't tell them the main card starts at 8, I said the event starts at 6.30, that's when the undercard starts. So, uh, and almost every one of those that's been 30 to 40 people for three consecutive events that's you know some of them will repeat so let's say it's about 60 70 people um uh i'd say 80 to 90 percent of them stayed from 6 30 until close which is almost six hours i don't think it's possible to fake you know liking it and stay for six yeah. hours for something that you hate right it would be pretty easy to oh my babysitter <laughs> <laughs> it would be pretty easy to come up with an excuse why you had to leave before well, it was over. Now that they know that you're saying this on here, possibly they might be like, "Oh, you know, the whole time I just thought we couldn't leave, but <laughs> uh, now Rich is telling us we got an out. We might need to get on out of here." I, I I agree. I do that a lot, and you know, as a promoter on my own end, I know half the time I'll tell people, "I'm like, listen, you ain't getting these seats for nothing. You guys got to work." So I'm amenable to having them. Uh, doing popcorn sales and stuff like that. But I love the fact that you're getting people excited and invested on it. Are you finding on your end, though, aside from those people, like what are those live crowds feeling? Because I think the idea has always been this. It's twofold. One, how do you excite and entertain the people in the seats who are there? And two, how do you communicate that must-see vibe on television? Uh it's a good question. That's, you know, that's the thing where we, we think about all the time. So, uh, it sounds like you watched it, uh, on flow as opposed to, uh, you weren't at our events live, but you go, our, our most recent tournament, which where our next one will be at the same place at the Manhattan center, uh, the Hammerstein ballroom. This place is incredible. There's two tiers of balconies and a floor. We sold the place out. Um, I've been to a lot of tournaments live and, you know, watch them, uh, anything, you know, a lot of them out West, you know, Metamorris or the EBIs, you watch a Metamorris and they're great matches. I used to love Metamorris, but nobody talks silent and, you know, it's respect for the sport. I always viewed it as a really cool thing. And then I always said to myself, eh, maybe jujitsu fans just don't like to, express themselves yeah i mean it's great it's everyone's so focused on the match but it's not that you know it doesn't create the excitement you want so i didn't know what to expect so we throw a bunch of new yorkers uh first we had our, our first two events in brooklyn and then we threw them you know here in the hammerstein ballroom and 
the place went crazy. I, I, Hollis and I, we, we couldn't have been happier. I mean, we really didn't know what to expect. We sold it out. All three shows of ours have been sold sellouts. Each time we, you know, we added, you know, material amounts of new seats. So, you know, each one has been bigger than the last. Uh, we made a screw up in the last event. You guys are going to kick out of this. Um, I don't know the folks at the Hammerstein ballroom after, you know, a little bit after eight o'clock when everybody had come in and sat down to their seats, they didn't post anybody at the door. And I don't know who they were. Maybe there were people that just came late. Maybe they were just people walking by. You know, Manhattan's got a lot of people. But I, I think there was easily another two hundred, two to 300 more people than we even sold tickets to that managed to just walk in. Uh, the place went crazy. Uh, needless to say, we're going to be stationing real A little bit more security? Store. This sounds exactly <laughs> like the security we saw at the event. Not... Uh... AJ could invite uh, anyone he wanted up there. Cousins, yeah, other no fighters. There, it felt like the yeah, doors were so. open. Oh, you know, it's Jesus. funny. One of, I won't say I won't say his name, but there was a fighter there who I know really well, who uh, had a few too many to drink, and came up to me and he said, "You yeah, know, I, I want to challenge Gordon Ryan." I was like, "That's great. Um, <laughs> we can talk about that some other day." And then, you know, half hour later, you know, had a couple more drinks, came up really, really rich. Uh, are you going to announce it or do I need to? No, no. <laughs> Nobody's going to be <laughs> announcing it. <laughs> <laughs> and then the third time he came up to me, he goes, just give me the microphone. I'm going up there. You know, Calistine was up there. AJ, it's my turn. I'm going to go call out Gordon right here on the spot. And I said, okay. <laughs> Security. <laughs> The best part is they gave you the heads up. Like, I, I oh, it's like, don't I, tell I saw that that happened there. It's my turn to go up there now. Rich, I mean, as somebody who also works in comedy, that's my nightmare. Is just like you look around. And normally when you do comedy and you can take a look around, you can eyeball and be like, all right, we got about uh, 120 in here right now. And then, you know, the person comes up and gives you your check on how many people you brought in. And then you look over and you go, that seems short. My nightmare would be seeing that check and going, but I saw a lot of faces and I'd be like, yeah, I know. But see, the way it happened was, <laughs> as they explain it to you, you just go, nuts. Rich, this is so great. Here's what I really do appreciate about this, because for years we've been we've been struggling in jiu-jitsu to find a promoter who takes constructive criticism and embraces it and understands that that's marketing intel feedback. Because a lot of the times they resist it as just haterade, if you would, or uh, just being uh, against the event. I think if you really truly do love grappling, you have a passionate response to these things. And hearing you guys even feel the need to address some of the refing and trying to keep it competitive and still having sub only at heart, but wanting to be inclusive to basically IBJJF folks who point play or people who pass well, and having them intermix with those who attack legs or maybe play for a different game, this is great to hear. I guess the bigger issue is, you know, we asked you what have you been doing to kind of modify or change as the times have changed. But what have you guys most learned as you guys have been doing this just in terms of, like, putting together this? Like, I still don't even know when you guys started trying to put this together. We just know that within the past year and change, you guys have made a lot of buzz, but that didn't just start a year and change ago. 
Yeah, so like I said, we've been talking about this for five years, uh, literally five years, um, and discussing with anybody who would discuss it with us, you know, what would you want to see? So it's like that classic uh, joke about how many, you know, wh- whomever you want to make fun of, does it take to screw in a, a light bulb? Uh, you know, or or the other expression where, you know, you ask five people, five jujitsu people for their opinion and you'll get like seven different opinions. Uh, one guy had an opinion uh, and he went a full 360 in discussing his opinion to a to a 180 to another opinion back another 180 back to the one he started with. So I got actually three different opinions from one guy by himself. So uh, you know, so jujitsu fans, and I'm also convinced that when you come up with rule set, all you're doing is creating something where people will arbitrage their way or they'll develop sure. their 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 game to to game the rule set doesn't matter what you come up with um so really what we tried to do is simply solve two simple things is is create the most interesting rule set um and six minute matches just all by itself you know makes it more exciting there's not a lot of places you can hide in six minutes right and and um you know and 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 trying to bridge as you said to bring together all the different communities so we can put together all these different matchups, uh, both in the tournaments and in the super fights. So we've been thinking about it for a long time. And we like, to your point, we definitely don't have all the answers and, um, we get a lot of opinions at us now, which is great. So, and, and also an answer to your question, we started a year ago. November was our first show. So we did a show in November. We did a show in May. We did our last show in August and our next show is going to be, November 10th. Um, so this will be our fourth show. We also do amateur tournaments in the local area here, and we're gonna those are those will travel a bit. Um, and in our amateur shows, we do our pro qualifier. So what we're really trying to do also is create that Cinderella story. There's so many great jujitsu guys out there that just never never had the spotlight to really showcase their talents. You know, they can't get into these shows. Um, so we do a pro qualifier, uh, for the weight class coming up in the tournament we're going to do. So we're doing our pro qualifier on October 13th. Uh, and it's basically an open casting call for all 145 pound people that want to, want to give it a shot. And, uh, for our last tournament, it was 170 pounds. We had 37 people show up for the pro qualifier. I think this one's even going to be bigger. And the guy that won the pro qualifier, Mateus, Mateus Lutas, uh, trains at Marcelo Garcia's, is, a, is an animal. And Mateus won five matches to, to win the qualifier. He made it to the tournament, and he came in third place. Guy, you know, you know heretofore, you know, unknown. Although people in, you know, in the small circle here in New York clearly knew who he was, but, you know, the world didn't. And uh, in our first two tournaments, uh, Nick uh, Calvinese and Juni Ocasio uh, won the pro qualifiers and both did extraordinarily well. They just didn't take home, you know, one of the top three places, but they did great. So, you know, part of this is, is 
giving back to the community, you know, let, you know, discovering the next guy and doing that all over the country and all over the world. Uh, it's a Rocky story. Who, who doesn't like the Rocky story, right? We love the Rocky story, though. I, it's a credit to you all. I would have, if you had asked me prior to this, when did Kasai start? I'd been like, I don't know, two or three years ago. So that, that's a compliment to you all. I, I'm going to transition a little bit only because I'm a little curious where your jujitsu we've heard your black belt. I've gotten the cliffs notes. This seems like it goes a little deeper than just enjoying training, sticking with it and being like, Oh, that'll keep me in shape because that's not really how you transition from black belt to, I want to bring in the best grapplers in the world to fight each other. When did you get addicted to jujitsu? How does your black belt story start? Uh, well, I got a great black belt story. I'll, I'll try to do it quickly for you, but, um, got time. I got, no, we're interested I got in this. A, <laughs> I got addicted very soon, very quickly after I started. So I was, a. am if you look at me, I don't look like a jujitsu guy. Plus I'm 57 years old. So the last thing in the world people do when they look at me and say, Oh, this guy, <laughs> this guy, this guy looks like a jujitsu guy. No, I do don't look anything like it. In fact, I love sports growing up. Um, I played all sports, but my, my thing was running. I ran a bunch of marathons. I ran competitively in high school and college. Um, uh, running and combat sports are kind of polar opposites in the world of, you know, the types of people that do them. So what happened was I ended up getting hurt. I had a labral tear in my hip. I got it in like mile 23 of the New York City Marathon about 14, 15 years ago. And my doctor told me, you know, I really couldn't run anymore if I did, you know, certainly not competitively in any way. So I had to find a new sport and I wandered around. I did swimming. I did just tried to find something to take its place, you know. So running was, was, but running was competitive. So it was something that sort of drove you. You were looking for. Yeah, no, I've always been driven by, you know, competitive sports. A little bit more, but, than not your casual jogger. You're talking marathons. Hey, you can no longer train to run 26.2 Jabivis mile, miles. So you're you're circling, swimming, sorry, just to give some some qualification because you made it sound like a jogger. That's a lot of miles. No, no, no. I, I, I ran. Uh, I No, I, 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 tr- I tr- whatever sport I've been doing for the last, you know, literally 45 years, I did every day. Okay. You know, and I did it hard. I, I, I you know, I'm, I'm really, really into it. And, uh, you know, I like staying fit and love the competitive juices and all that, but never did anything at all in combat sports, anything even close. Uh, so, um, my client for probably 20 years at this point, this is vintage, let's say 15 years ago, uh, was Frank and Lorenzo Fertitta. I was their banker. Um, uh, for their company called Station Casinos. This is, you know, UFC was only an infant, obviously, at the time. And I had known them for years. We had done a lot of deals together and, you know, knew these guys really well. In fact, we were working on a deal one day and I was complaining. In, fla- in fact, I think Lorenzo called me a little, said I was complaining like a little bitch <laughs> <laughs> because I was just, I, I, wasn't working out, you know, you know, your endorphins don't get going. We don't I, need I, to fact you know, check it. That sounds exactly like him. Go on. <laughs> so, uh, he, him and Frank looked at me and they said, 
you really ought to try martial arts. We're going to set you up with a kickboxing instructor. Yeah, guys, I've never done anything like that. Well, we own a, a little company we just started. It's a couple of years old called the UFC. I had no idea what a UFC even was. Uh, I kidded around with somebody, but I really honestly thought it stood for United Furniture Corporation. <laughs> I didn't know a thing. No. So, yeah, so 15 years ago. So and I those two, watched... it's worth noting, have a grappling clause in their contract. Raph and I have been jealous right. since we heard about it, but they have in their contract a clause that if they disagree to the extent, they'll just grapple about it. Uh, I've heard that. I, I, I've never verified that, but that could be true. Well, I'm just saying good people to randomly get a suggestion from. A little nutty. Uh, but, so, they, yeah. so they set me up for a kickboxing uh, lesson, and then I ended up doing it for about six months with Phil Nurse. I don't know if you know who Phil Nurse is, but he's, he's a rock star in uh, Muay Thai world. Uh, you know, he's John Jones's Muay Thai instructor, many other great athletes, guys guy's incredible talent um and i worked out with phil and i really liked it but i was just getting kind of a little too beat up i mean i was all black and blue i would show up for at the office with black eyes it was not it it was (laughs) i didn't think it was it was sustainable and they they asked me how was it going and i was yeah you know i love it honestly but you know i i just don't think i can do this longer term like breaking toes and all this so uh they said you think he's ready for jujitsu and they said, you know what jiu-jitsu is? And I said, yeah, I mean, I've been, I'm addicted to the UFC ever since you guys told me about it. Uh, that's when they go to the ground and they submit each other. Yeah, uh, you want to try it? I said, sure. So they set me up with, uh, you know, I went right to the top. They sent me up with Henzo Gracie for my first private lesson. Mines will go right to the you know, Mount Olympus. Yeah, no and, shit, by uh, the way. Sorry, I'm angry, but go on. I'm taking notes. <laughs> So I came in, I knew nothing, nothing at all, not even close. Uh, but I kind of knew I was really going to like this. And um, I also knew Henzo lived in New Jersey. There was no way he was going to come in every day to do a lesson with me. Um, and Henzo and I, to this day, became like really good friends, a super, super guy. Um, but I discovered John Danaher. John was uh, training Matt Serra uh, the day I was there, or you know, the couple of days I was there. And at the time, I remember watching UFC and the shows that I watched. They talked about Matt Serra as being the best jujitsu guy in the UFC. I don't know if he was or not, but that's what Joe Rogan said. And I watched Matt Serra train with John Denner, and I said. The best guy in the UFC is training with this guy. This guy must be something special. And I even watched him roll one day, and John beat the living crap out of Matt Sarah. And I was like, wow. How could I do any better than this guy? I don't even know who he is. So I introduced myself. Um, John took a charity case by taking me in, and I think the reason he took me in was because he saw that Henzo came in to train me, so he figured I must be somebody important. So, and the rest is history. I mean, I trained for about three years with John. He gave me every bit of my foundation of, of the sport. And, uh, you know, I ended up opening my own gym after that. Um, and, you know, that was 
whatever, 13, 14 years ago. So you like the story. Uh, I can well, fill you in on the years in between, but they're not as interesting as as as, as all that. Well, I guess if we're going to follow up on the John Danaher, we've heard that he's notoriously candid about how people are rolling in his room. Do you have any stories, especially, I'm sure, if you were beginning, were there ever any moments that he said something particularly, I guess, funny at your expense or one of those cutting witticisms that you just go, yeah, that's about right. Good one, John. John is a unique. Uh, I think the world has gotten to know a little bit about John because he's he's been you know out there in the media. But uh, you know when I show up, probably the best part about my lesson with John used to be just the first ten minutes when John would literally say, "Hey, what's going on, mate?" And John would inevitably segue into some you know hilarious story about something or other. So you know we we got to be actually very good friends. Um, but I have, I, I'm going to go the opposite way on you. I'm going to tell you something very nurturing about John. Uh-oh. I think you yeah. might really hinder his his whole thing that he's been working on. Like, he's been known <laughs> as this weird, dark Sith Lord. And the amount of love that I've heard that has been given from the man is very, very minuscule in terms of, like, that nurture versus nature sort of thing. So he's worked yeah. very hard to be the evil James Bond villain that we all know and love. No, but no, sure, without, a d- without a doubt, John, okay, so I'll go with nature versus nurture first. There we so go, okay. John, um, <laughs> John would, uh, first of all, when I knew nothing, it was, you know, there was a flailing elbow or something, and, it, you know, if I ever hit him, you know, obviously he wouldn't take to it very well, and it would sort of result in, you know, how the pace he would step up against me, so... I hate to say it, but it was sort of like, you know, kill or be killed. It just taught me to relax because, you know, I was getting clear feedback that when I wasn't relaxed, I got beat up worse. Um, so, you know, I sort of, you know, in the, in the wild jungle sort of aspect of learning something, uh, I got to learn. And, um, you know, if uh, John was working on a particular move, uh, sometimes I would do things like try to I would give him any submission other than the one that I knew he was working on. <laughs> and that resulted in a, 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 you know, an outcome that was even worse. So I, I think we ended up building a rhythm together, and it was something that I evolved over time as opposed to being taught. You know, I learned. Uh, but the nurturing part, um, I showed up and I told John that I had claustrophobia, which I did. Um, and... He said, really? And, well, first I started with him and I said, John, have you ever taught a white belt? Because, you know, we don't have to do this. I can train with somebody else. <laughs> and he said, yeah, sure I have, which turned out to be a complete lie. There's no way. Uh, and, you know, wasn't exactly the most patient, you know, with my evolution. But he was in the very beginning. I told him I had claustrophobia. And John, for the first uh five to ten lessons did nothing with me other than mount escape mm-hmm. um it was sort of like wax on wax off from the karate kid you know why are we doing this and then after about ten times john said uh you have na- you now know how to get out from under a mount the worst thing that will ever happen to you in jujitsu is either a you know uh front mount or a back mount and 
you don't have to worry about that anymore because you now know how to get out. So everything, you know, everything, now you can relax. And it was true. It actually worked. So I credit him for having the patience to just do nothing with me and have the foresight to know that that's what I needed. And I'm sorry. It was a really nice thing. I'm sorry. It's okay. I, I think he'll recover. I just, I want to say, I think it's a good thing he didn't have Instagram back then because there would have been very long posts about the essential of framing and saying, some white belts that I work with, I won't name <laughs> dire issues with the way that they go about the day. And it would have been like, you would have seen novel of war and peace written on your game if he had <laughs> his social media back then. So kudos to him. Imagine course, what's in his diary about that day. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, to just kind of throw this in here, one of my favorite John stories is, you know, I've had the, the benefit of getting to interview him a few times. And he's always very, like, he understands he can be funny with us. And I think that's a big relief of his shoulders. Because most of the time, it's always like, John, what does jiu-jitsu mean? And he's always like, oh, Jesus. Okay, fine. But with us, he kind of lets it go. And the favorite thing that I got out of him was one day when he admitted, when he was first starting social media, how he would spend so much time on certain posts on the subway and then reach the maximum amount of time that Instagram has and allots for you to do it before resetting. And he would say how many times all of these great things he was oh, writing. Oh, no, it got reset. Just yeah. go and fade away into the ether. And I just thought, for as long as that man writes, and the detail and the care that I know it takes him to do, especially with his self-admitted fat fingers, I just thought, there's nothing funnier to me than seeing him on a subway in my head and then throwing his hands in the air like, well, of course. <laughs> when his 4,000 words just imploded. <laughs> it was like, that's his version of Sean Connery's like, I found the cure for cancer, and then it just evaporated. But, <laughs> Rich, John's an extraordinary know, guy. Uh, well, he truly is. He really is. Uh, and so, and, I mean, he got me hooked. What can I say? Well, we're glad that you were able to get that experience because it begat so many others. And I know that you've had amazing things like getting to train with uh, the Sheik over in Abu Dhabi. You have so many great experiences that have come along in your black belt journey. I guess the thing for us is, you know, how are you able to balance your own jujitsu while putting on these events? And then you're still also working in Wall Street at the same time. So it always makes me wonder those things in addition to when people are rolling with you and they know that you're the CEO of this, are they trying to audition to get a slot on this Kasai sort of thing? Because, listen, I put together super fights, and I have plenty of people who are trying to wreck me just to be like, huh? Get me on a show? And I'm like, oh, Jesus, no, I'm not in charge of that kid. Oh, is that why I've been losing? <laughs> <laughs> Ever since I had, ever since I had Kasai, you're right. People are beating the crap out of me. Thanks so much. Um, yeah, no, um, uh, yeah. I guess there's a little of that, but uh, it's fun. You know, it's fun. It's fun, really, just getting in touch with the jujitsu community. But how do I fit it in? I don't know. Uh, my full time job is very demanding. Um, I travel a lot. I any city I go to, I try to find a dojo and train. 
you know, I build it into the schedule. I literally plan it as a, uh, one of my mottos in life is uh, schedule your own time, you know, whether it's whatever it is that you do. You know, for me, it's this. And so my schedule shouldn't just say, you know, client X meeting at 10, client Y's, client Z, you know, and then go home. Uh, I, I will literally put a two-hour block. I'll find a, a dojo. I'll make connections somehow with whoever the, the, the professor is, and I'll schedule that into my day. So, you know, you try to build your life around it. You try your best. And I've been very fortunate. I mean, I've trained with some of the greatest athletes in the world. I, I regularly train in New York with Eddie Cummings and with Paulo Miao. Um, my partner in my gym is a guy named Eric Owings, who's an incredibly gifted athlete and jiu-jitsu uh, professional. Uh, he doesn't compete anymore, but, uh, you know, I learned a ton from Eric. I mean, just the level of these guys. And then, you know, on top of that, uh, you know, as I travel, you know, my daughter now goes to school in um, in Atlanta. And when I'm in Atlanta, I train with Bruno Frazzato. Uh, you know, when I'm in California, I train with Jean-Jacques or or at Art of Jiu-Jitsu, or depending on where I am in California, you know, maybe a different place. Ooh. So, um, and you, meant, you mentioned Sheikh Tanun in Abu Dhabi. Um, you know, you name it. I, I've just met so many people through this sport. And, uh, you know, the audition more has to do with, you know, getting to know me or Hollis, as opposed to, you don't have to prove anything on the mat. You know, it's, it's uh, you know, we want to help good guys who, you know, and when they're super talented, we're going to give them a stage. Well, you say that now. So it's fun. Somebody's eventually going to come in, so I'm very nervous, but I think it's great. We're going to bookmark for our Rich Burn series part two. We're going to get him drunk, convince him to come back. Don't worry. Um, I'll give you the real John stuff when we do. I was just going to (laughs) say, I'm assuming he doesn't sleep based off of everything I've just heard about the man. So he neglected to leave. How do you do it? Ah, Well, I also sleep two hours a day, one day a week. It's like, there we go. Rich, you're an interesting guy. We're big fans of the Kasai world. Everyone, everyone listening to this podcast knows who Kasai is, but KasaiGrappling.com. You can find more about the November 10th, the October 23rd events. Go fight if, if you've got the October what? Yeah, I did. I missed 13th. that. Thirteen. 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 <laughs> People are like, no, twenty third. He said it. No, you got to You got to go to the actual date, the thirteenth. Um, try out, but everyone's going to be viewing the November tenth. We're excited to see who is on the next card. Kasai's bringing it, and frankly, I did notice your large mats. I have to say, it's a particular pet peeve of mine, and yet still, I saw. AJ taking one of those, um, you know what? Just install those things that they had in the greatest showman where you can grab it by an arm and dance around. We'll talk off air. Rich, (laughs) thank you so much for swinging by the podcast this evening, sir. We are definitely going to want to chat with you again. Kasaigrappling.com, or I assume Rich will just show up in your gym like Batman prepared to beat you up if he's traveling through that city. Ladies and gentlemen, Rich Byrne. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Raph. Thanks, Kevin. The number you have dialed has been changed.
The new number is. Please note, the new number is.